All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, if I don't know you, I am David, and I get to serve as the pastor here at Redeemer, lead pastor. And um, today, as uh, Mary Lee and Johnny said, is a really big day. It is, a, it is a massive day. I cannot tell you how long I have waited to be able to come and say, today we're breaking ground. Like, even if it's with a small shovel in our arms, yes, we're breaking it. We're going forward. This has been a, uh, a long journey, and there's been so much prayer and energy and trial <laughs> to get us where. Some bumps in the road, some very expensive bumps in the road, but we're here. And yeah, uh, we're thankful. And I, I, um, I just woke up this morning, uh, I don't know, just with a deep sense of gratitude for this place and for God's work here. For this church, and, and by this church, I don't mean actually the building or the groundbreaking. I mean, I mean you guys. I mean, it's us together. We are the Lord's church that come together and follow Jesus and lead others to Jesus and change the world. And that's why we're here, and that's what we're doing. And um, today, we just we set a new course that's beautiful and wonderful, and I'm so thankful for it. All right, uh, first week of January, maybe it was the second, I asked you guys to do something for me uh, because preaching in a COVID environment is difficult. I can't see what's going on with your face. I don't know if you're sticking out your tongue or smiling at me. And some of y'all look like Bernie Sanders at the inauguration out there, okay? So here's what, uh, here's what, I asked you to do, I'm reminding you of this morning, I want some interaction, right? There's this thing, yeah, there we go, you got it, you remember. If there's something that you want to, to give some oomph to, if you agree with, what's the word that we say in church? Amen, amen right? Can I get some amens in here? Good. If, if it is a point that you're like, yes, I'm feeling you, David, I know where you're at. What do you, what, what's another one that I taught you? Preach! Preach! Preach it, right? If, if you're not sure what I'm saying, if you don't know where I'm going, do you guys know that there's one for that too? You can say, oh, <laughs> help me. That, that, I'll get that one in a second. You say, you can say, okay, right? Like that, that'll work for me. And then if I'm struggling, if I'm struggling, right? What, Johnny? Help him, Jesus. Can anybody, you can do that. I'm game with that, right? I just, we just, we want some interaction in here, okay? Um, this is the last week of Evil Lives, and uh, man, um, somebody came to me, and actually multiple people came to me and said, really appreciate this, this series. Can we do four more weeks? And, uh, <laughs> and I actually want to affirm that. Uh, we're not doing four more weeks, but um, there, there is so much here that we haven't really been able to, to, to dig deep into, and... Um, and there, there's a lot of conversation that we still need to have, and we will, about spiritual warfare, about good and evil, about God's work in the midst of it, about um, all these things. They will come back up. But today, uh, we are bringing this thing to a close, and we're not going to just talk about the reality of evil. Today, we talk about the victory of Christ in the midst of evil. And, um, and I'm going to share with you guys a story where that becomes very evident from Mark chapter 5. Um, and man, let's just all uh, close our eyes and quiet our hearts before the Lord as we come in prayer today. Lord Jesus, I thank you. 
for these people in this place. I thank you for the way that you have shown us so clearly who you are and who you are in this world and who you are in our lives and that you're good and that you want good for us and that you do good for us, Lord. And we come before you today knowing that and trusting that and seeking you in that. Lord, where we are shaky, would you give us solid footing? Where we have fears, would you breathe faith into our lives? Lord, where we are unsure, would you, by the power of your spirit, come alongside with holy certainty? And, and Lord, um, I pray these things, that the words of my mouth today and the meditations of every heart would be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, you are a rock. You are a redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 5. Um, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. This is the NLT if you want to try to follow along. So they, Jesus and the disciples, so they arrived at the other side of the lake, in the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from a cemetery to meet him. This man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Okay, so Jesus and the disciples, Mark 5, it's early in the gospel, early in the life and the ministry of Jesus. They are leaving the Jewish region of Galilee, and they're headed across the big lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, to the other side, to a Gentile region called the Gerasenes. And when they get close to the shore, they evidently are landing the boat in a region where there are burial tombs over near the shoreline. There's caves, and the folks from the Gerasenes have buried their loved ones, the past generations, at this place. And out from these tombs emerges this man. He comes out of these burial caves. I'm sure they see him, and I'm sure when the disciples see this guy, it's not in the text, but I, I'm reading between the lines, I think that the caves are a little heightened. I think that they're uh, a little uh, watching this fellow with um, some curiosity and some concern. Uh, he probably comes in a little hot. He probably looks a little funny. He probably smells very foul. And, um, and it's all because of what the text tells us this man was possessed. Verse 2 says the man was possessed by an evil spirit. We sometimes call this demon possession is how it's stated in the Bible. And I'll just say this right here and right now. Change it out? Yeah. Okay. Let me not. Test, test. Okay, great. So... 
the scripture says that he was possessed he was possessed um, uh, by an evil spirit and I, I just want to point out this isn't a descriptor that we use too often these days right this isn't something that you and I are very familiar with or know what often to do with when we hear it said it's probably is something that today in the 21st century here in America that we actually read uh, many of us probably with a little bit of skepticism saying what is that I'm not quite sure I'm not familiar with that I don't even know if I believe in that but what is very clear is that here in Mark's gospel it is something that folks believed in that was real and there really is no other explanation than the plain one that Marx gives but here was a man who was possessed who was overcome who was overtaken by an evil force in his life an evil demonic power and he was coming but it wasn't just him he he was he was the host of whole bunch of evil spirits well, we're going to read about it later it's not just one there's an army of darkness inside of this man and he comes and he has been totally lost to the powers of evil in his life he's barely recognizable as whoever he once was he is a, a man who has been overcome with evil and and it's also very clear as we read Mark's gospel that this was a man known in this community that there's plenty of backstory here if you just look at some of the details um, verse 3 uh, says <clears throat> verse 3 says <clears throat> this man lived among the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with a chain Notice that's past tense, right? No longer being restrained, me meaning implying that there were moments in which the Pope people in this community had tried to restrain him, had done it with a chain and they were unable to do it. Why? Well, verse four says, whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the, sna the shackles. So he wasn't just possessed, he had power he was a powerful possessed man and when they would get him down and hold him down as he often was it said so there were multiple instances when this happened people in the community probably remembered this they tied him up they shackled his hands they put him in chains but what was the the end result of it he broke the chains and he he probably broke the shackles on rocks and he went free and so what had happened when we come up on this man in this community this last verse 5 gives us kind of this state of sad stasis where everything had ended up day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills howling and cutting himself with sharp stones this this was a wild crazy erratic man uh, possessed in the tombs and I'm sure parents said to their kids don't go there at night don't go there alone right this was a really dangerous part a reality of this community and you step back from a story like that and I don't know about you but one of the things that I often wonder is like how does a person end up like that right how did he get there that far gone how does a, a man end up demon possessed and my answer honestly after doing a research and studying in the bible is uh 
ultimately, I don't really know. And uh, a lot of times in Scripture, we're just given a picture of what is instead of how it got there, especially when it's the narrative story of the Gospels. And that's all we have here. We have a picture of what is. We have a picture of this man in this state. We don't know the path that, that led him to this place. But I did read some things that gave me some thoughts in Scripture about this. And I did read a person that made a very interesting suggestion and that it was, um, it was actually grief. That grief was the thing that opened the door and led this man down a path, a state of overwhelming, undealt with grief in his life. So here was the suggestion. Maybe something happened, something tragic happened in this man's life. He was a, um, he, he was a, a dad whose son was tragically killed. He was abused as a child. He um, had a brother who he got at odds with and took his brother's life. Something had happened. He had done something. Something had happened to him. And he had, uh, had felt the pain and the hurt and the despair of the situation. And that's why he was maybe there in those tombs, because he was mourning the loss of this person who was lost to him in his life. And he went there to mourn, but he never was able to leave there. Right, this pain and this despair gripped him, and and held on to him, and he wasn't able to to get over it. He lost himself in that pain and that despair, and he got to a point where he lost his life, and he got to this state of deep, uh, deep unhealthiness. And and here here's what I want to say to you. I want you to hear me now. When you get to a state where you're no longer functioning in health, right? I, I want to tell you, I think the devil raises an eyebrow. I do. I think that um, this is when the devil sees an opportunity in our lives to influence us and to do the thing that the devil does really well, which is tell us a lie. Jesus, when he talks about the devil, he said he called the devil a liar and the father of lies. And, and, and this, is, this is the time in our life when we're susceptible to the devil's lies, right? He'll, he'll take something that's true, something that's real that we're experiencing, and he'll twist it and move it into some sort of believable falsehood that takes us down a path to destruction, right? So your son was killed, right? The pain is overwhelming. Death is an absolute curse. You don't know how you're going to get over it. Maybe this is the state the man was in, and that's true and that's real, but then what does the devil do? He says, maybe it's because God doesn't love you. Or maybe God's punishing you because of that thing that you did. Or maybe... It's because God isn't real at all. Right? And the devil never comes at us with a bold-faced lie. He comes at us with a very believable half-truth. And when, when we're down and we're beaten up, man, we're susceptible to believe things that at other times we wouldn't. Or the other tool of the devil is we're susceptible to temptation in those moments well, we're not healthy, right? We're really hurting and beaten down. And then we remember that bottle of whiskey that we never took out of the cabinet, right? We, 
have a struggle with our spouse, with anger, with continued frustration, and then we get a text from that high school fling out of nowhere, right? And, and this is why the, the scripture always says you need to be on guard against the devil's schemes. Ephesians 6, put on the armor of God against those things. We've got to pursue spiritual health and we've got to always be knowing and building our lives on what is good and what is true as God defines it. Because the, this, is, this is the reality. We open the door and the devil's going to tell us some lies. There's this saying that, that, that says, uh, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can't keep them from building a nest. And I, I think that there's wisdom there. Second Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Right? So, so we stop those nests from coming. We demolish those things that come against us. Right? We take captive the thoughts that are not true and we tell them the truth. Right? We live in the continued truth and grace of God so that we don't step outside the bounds of God's grace. And, and what, what I'll tell you again, I don't know how this man got to this state, but at some point he opened a door. And at some point, the devil walked through. And at some point, he was so far down this destruction that he lost himself. He was gone. Evil had overcome his life. And he was, lo- and he was, he was lost. But good news is nobody's lost to our God. Amen. Mark 6, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 6. Let me read through 13. When Jesus was still some distance away and saw him, ran to meet him and bowed low before him with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. And there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission the evil spirit came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. <clears throat> so, so there's so many things in this passage that like are hard to wrap our minds around, like not one demon, but many a lesion. Jesus speaks to them. They speak back. They talk. But, but, but all, all that's tough. But the thing that when I read those, that, that section of this passage that I could not not wonder about was what is the deal with the pigs, right? Like what is going on here with the pigs? And let me tell you, after a lot of study and research, I'm saying this a lot this morning, I don't know. 
Like again here in in the gospels, we're often just told what happens and not why. And honestly, the best answer I can come up with when I look at this, it's the same as I feel about the existence of mosquitoes in the world. For some reason, they're reality, but I can't figure out why they're necessary. Okay. Um, uh, here is, uh, here is what I did find out when I did some study. Um, we may not be familiar with exorcisms and demon possession, but it was actually pretty commonplace in the first century ancient Near East. And uh, we have lots of stories and lots of records. And, and it was, wasn't uncommon that when there was an exorcism, like we see here in this passage, the, the demons were exorcised from that host to, uh, from that person to a um, an object or an animal that was then sent away, that was thrown away. And it was a symbol that the possession had actually been exercised, that it had been effective. And so, so this moving the spirits, wanting to go into the pigs, moving into the pigs, that, that um, makes sense there. And then why do they then run down the hillside and fall into the sea and drown uh, the best kind of explanation that we could, that I could come up with that I've seen is, is that they didn't know what was going to happen. And it actually is a symbol of judgment that in this Gentile region where there were swine, uh, this was a pronouncement of judgment over these spirits. They didn't know they were going to go into the sea, but here Jesus comes and he sends them to their final judgment unbeknownst to them. They die. Right. But ultimately Y'all, I don't know. That answer is not given in the text. Here is what is very clear, though, in this scripture, right? Here's what I'll say. Jesus overcomes the power of evil. Jesus absolutely wins. There is no war to be had here. There are no enemies on evil footing, right? Jesus walks in and the battle belongs to our Lord. Do you notice, did you notice how the demons are absolutely terrified when Jesus steps onto the scene, right? He comes in his boat. He's not even on the shore. And this man who's possessed by this legion comes out, guard up, eyes wide open. Uh, he's waving the flag from the beginning. He gets down before Jesus. The text says he gets on his knees. He's bowing down before Jesus. And, and he cries. He says, why are you interfering with me? right? Jesus, son of the most high God, please don't torture me. Please don't torture me. I mean, what do you hear? What do you hear there when you, when you listen to that, right? The, this is fear. The demons are terrified of Christ. And, and, and it's so interesting to me that like Jesus walks on this world as a man and we, we even encounter him today in books. And so often we don't see who he is. We don't recognize his power. But when it comes to the spiritual forces of darkness and wickedness in this world, they have no doubt about who he is and what he's come to do and, and the strength and the, the might that he has to end their efforts here on this earth right? The book of James says demons shudder when they hear Jesus's name because they know what we saw here. The moment Jesus steps on the scene, this is over. He calls out this man and the demons are immediately begging for mercy. He exercises them 
in a way, it's so smooth, it's so easy, we don't even hardly know what happened in the text. Suddenly the devils are just in the pigs, and the pigs are then just in the water. And it's over, right? And what, what, all, that, what all that actually points to is a, a bigger reality that I don't think that we, that we always see or are aware of, but is there in the narrative movement of Scripture, and it actually began in the beginning. Do you guys know that this battle is named and called out and, and over at the beginning of Genesis? It's where we started week one and the message where I said we need to define good. And we said good is the opposite of evil. Good is the corruption of, of God's good. God's defined good. And, and we got there. We started there. And then Genesis chapter three, week one, I talked about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And if you were here, you know that I didn't, uh, we learned that wasn't really about knowledge. It wasn't that God didn't want Adam and Eve not to know what was good and what was evil. He, he, he was trying to, to stop them from defining what's good for themselves. To say, I'm going to be the arbiter of what's good in my life and what's evil. I'm going to take that place that was God's only place, that was the boundary they could not cross. And when they did it, remember what happened? creation broke. Everything went awry. This was the fall of man and a curse comes over the whole land. And that is a very important part of the story that the Bible says we chose, that that you and I, humanity chose. But there's another part of the story that I don't want you to miss. That's also an important part of the narrative. And it's that there was a snake in that garden influencing everything too. Genesis 3, 1 introduce, begins by introducing us to him. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God has made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So here's, here's Eden, and here is this serpent, and he's there. And I, I don't really have time to work you through and trace this serpent throughout the scripture. It's a great study if you ever want to do it. But what what I will just give you is the conclusion is that serpent is the devil. It's Satan. And that's most clearly stated in in Revelations 12, 12, 9, which says um, the ancient serpent, the ancient serpent, it's it's a throwback to Genesis 1, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. The end of the story, it's remembering the serpent from the beginning of the story. And here in Genesis 3, what it's saying is that serpent, that ancient serpent was already there, already trying to influence away from God's good in the world, already speaking his native language and telling Eve a lie. God had spoken. And what did he say? Did God really say? Is it really bad for you? It's that half truth. That, that he introduced, and, um, and, and, and it worked, right? Eve took the fruit of the tree and ate it. She believed the lie, and then um, we see the fall of man. We see the brokenness of God's creation. We see the fingerprints of falsehood and deception everywhere in our world today. And that is our choice. It is also the work of the devil. 
But what is also beautiful and amazing, and I bet many of you guys don't even know, is right there in Genesis chapter 3, after the serpent influences and Adam and Eve make their choice, God's hashing out a plan to restore and redeem things. I want to read you the curse that is spoken over the serpent, starting in verse 14. It says this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Here's the point I want you to really listen to. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay, so here's the serpent and God is cursing him independently. Says, I'm calling you out serpent. You're getting a curse. And he says, among all the animals of this world, you're going to crawl on your belly and eat dust. And then he says, against you, and the offspring of Eve, there's going to be this war, this cosmic battle throughout time. And maybe that's why a lot of people hate snakes. But um, what I can tell you is it, it's, it's layered here. It's not just about snakes. It's about Satan. He's the ancient serpent. And, and what it's saying is that Satan is going to come against humanity for all of time. There's going to be this battle and this war and this fight that's happening and even says, you're going to have your, bru- your heel bruised. There's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt caused, right? But did you hear the other part? There's, there, there's also, he may, he may bruise the heel. Satan may bruise the heel. But what's going to happen? An offspring of Eve is going to crush his head. He will crush your head. That's the death blow. That's the end of the story story, right? This is it. Y'all, this is the first reference that points ahead to the work of Christ in the Bible that hints at his final victory that says that serpent is going to be thrown down into the sea. And in Mark 5, even though Jesus has not yet gone to the cross, and even though Christ has not yet returned today, they know how this story goes. They know where this is headed. And so they are terrified that that day on that shoreline, the serpent head crusher came, came, came to, to the tombs, right? Because he was going to bring a man out of death. And, and y'all, what I want to tell you is part of the good news of the gospel is that although evil is real, we don't have to fear it. Although we have not seen the very end of this story, we know Christ won on the cross. And that you and I, although we may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does the scripture say? I will fear no evil. We do not have to fear any evil that comes up against us. We are the children of God. We claim the blood of Christ over our lives. You know, this um, Monday, uh, I was in my office writing um, this message. I was literally typing observations about this demon-possessed man. And... uh, Wendy Strawbridge, our student ministries director, kind of opened my door really fast. And she looked at me and she said, there, David, David, there's a man 
outside saying that he, um, he is being uh, tormented by Satan. And um, if you're wondering if you're just, you just heard me right, you did. And I wondered if I heard Wendy right. And, uh, and then I saw the look on her face and I knew that I had. And so I took a deep breath. I got up from my desk. I stepped out the door outside right there by my office. And um, sure enough, there was a large German man on his knees yelling, telling me he was being tormented by Satan and he couldn't take it anymore. And I'm just going to point this out. In four years of ministry here at Redeemer, I have never had anything remotely close to that happen. And then it did the morning I was writing about a demon-possessed man in the middle of a series called Evil Lives. I, case in point, right? And, um, and so you say, what, well, David, what did you do, right? What do you do in a scenario like that? I listened, I assessed the situation, and let me tell you, I knew very plainly, I did not know what to do, okay? Um, if uh, I did not know what was going on, I could not tell. You often can in the heart and minds of these people. Were there psychological issues? Maybe. Was there the influence of drugs? There could have been. Was this man actually being oppressed by, by, by the devil? I actually believe he probably was. I think all three of those things were coming together at once in this man's life. And let me tell you, I never had a class at seminary where they were like, this is what you do when, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> but, but here's the thing that I, that I know, the reason I was able to, 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 to feel some confidence in that situation and have faith over fear, it's because I know what we have in Christ Jesus right? Like I know the, the one thing I do know is that Jesus is more powerful than whatever was having a power over him that day. So we brought him in and I talked to him and the staff all walked through to make sure I was safe at some point. And, uh, and, and, uh, I prayed with this man and I listened and, um, and he left in peace that day for which I'm very thankful. Um, he needed help but he left in a much better place than he was. And, uh, and all, all I can say is this. I told him that evil had no power over his life. And when I, when I prayed the blood of Jesus and the power of Christ over this man, even if it was just for a moment, his body got less tense and his mind relaxed. And there was a very visible peace. And um, I just... I just want to remind you guys, whatever you see, whatever happens, you have nothing to fear, okay? Jesus gets the last word, and we can walk in that authority that he's given us. And when we people in our lives, there's one more thing I really want to pull out of the passage um, today. And uh, there's a lot that happens after this man is healed. Like the community sees him and is amazed what God's done, right? There's this man that they all knew, and there he is in his right mind sitting there healed, and they can't believe it, right? They're amazed at the power that Jesus had. But there's another thing that is said in the passage that really caught me um, that I, I hadn't seen before. Verse 18 says this. Uh, 
as Jesus was getting into the boat to leave, it's the end, he's leaving. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you. So I don't know about you guys, but when I read these stories in the Bible, I often can think about like the person as just like this person who's there, who's under this power, who's hurting. And when Jesus heals them, I, I think about their future. Right? Like, I'm so thankful that God can do that and that there's good ahead of them. But here's what I don't think I ever had thought about. It was their past. Right? It was what they had left behind. And here Jesus tells this man, he's, he's wanting to, to go. And Jesus says to him, no, I want you to return home to your family. And it just reminded me that in every time there's evil that overtakes a life, right? There's relationships that are lost. There's pain that's had. There's things that need to be restored. Okay? And, and this man wasn't just a man who was hurting. He was a man with a family. And so that day when he was healed, man, there was maybe a wife that got her husband back. Right? There was a... a Uh, maybe kids that got their dad back. There were siblings that got their brother back. There was a mother who probably looked at her child with pain and saw him in the hills and remembered what, what she had. And then, and then one day it was given back to her when Christ landed on the scene. And, and it just, man, it, it reminds me of this thing that, that, that is part of the fight against evil. It's this. God's heart is for us to be delivered from evil and redeemed. Right? It's not just that we step away and God's stronger. It's that He delivers us for a purpose, for this redemption that He works out in the world. And, um, and y'all, we, we just get so callous to the gospel and the power of what we have in Christ. And, and the promises, but I want to tell you, when we come here to worship the living God, we're not just trying to be good people, like as a part of a community, we are here because we know the resurrected one. We know the one who had power over the grave and who takes what was lost and makes it found, right? Who restores the life that is lost and gone and makes it into something new and beautiful and wonderful and heals and heals what, what is, what, what's, what's been gone. When we say in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, that's not a rote repetition. That, that's, a, that's a declaration of what Christ has done. When, when, we, when we look ahead in Revelations to this time where there's a new heaven and a new earth and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, that's not a poetic utterance. It is the power of God that's coming in Christ Jesus. And, and y'all, um, I just want to say, Redeemer, what do you think we're here for? <laughs> it's, it's, it's this, right? Why did we open up a dying church four years ago, right? It, it was to see God tell stories like this, to speak truth to the devil's lies, to say, Christ redeems, Jesus wins, the gospel saves, death has been defeated, the serpent's head has been crushed, and we break ground because the kingdom of God is breaking in. And and I just, amen, and I, I just, 
I just give thanks. We give thanks. We've got nothing to do but to give thanks and stand in the victory of God today. And so um, we're going to take communion in a moment. I also just don't want to miss an opportunity here. Um, God's heart is to deliver and redeem. And if there's somebody um, watching today or somebody here in the room that needs to remember that, that needs to know that, that needs to, to experience the deliverance of God, I just want to open up this altar to you as we take communion, as we pray. I invite you to come. Maybe you just need to pray. Maybe you just need to come and, and let God speak to your heart. But come, let's pray. Let's, let's plead the, the blood of Jesus over whatever is happening in your life. Let's ask for his grace and mercy. And, um, and, and let's remember the goodness of God in a broken world. It's so good.